Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Parallel Church, one church in five physical locations. Welcome to all of you joining us this morning in Tabworth, Pastor Renee and Jill. Welcome you guys. Welcome Claire's home with Pastor Brian and Heidi. Welcome to Okotoks with Pastor Joel and Tanisha. Welcome to Lloyd Minster with Pastor Mike and Kara. Welcome Lethbridge with Pastor Ralph and Cindy. And welcome all of you joining us online, wherever you're watching from around the world. Welcome to all of you. Thanks for joining us with Pastor Tim and Jen. And welcome to part four of our series, Rethink, Deconstructing Modern Christianity. You know, today, to most of society, Christianity is viewed as uh, a political, uh, divisive subculture. Uh, in fact, recently I just heard, uh, uh, you know, publicly stated from a local politician, and he said, he said that Christianity is what's wrong with the world today, right? And and people clapped and cheered. And honestly, he's not that far off in many ways. But did you know that Christianity was not always viewed that way? In fact, you might be surprised to know that the term Christian wasn't something that was self-given, wasn't something that Jesus gave to his followers, wasn't something that the disciples named themselves. In fact, we read it in the book of Acts that the first time the word Christian was used, it was, it was in the city of Antioch. And it says this in Acts 11, that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Antioch was a very fascinating city. It was a multicultural city. It was a city much like Vancouver, for instance, where all the nations, all cultures would, would be there. And much like Vancouver, each nationality and each religion kind of segregated itself from everybody else. There was actually parts of the city kind of walled off that... that the Jews would be in, or there'd be a part of the city that would be walled off that only the Muslims would exist in. There'd be a part where the Hindus would exist in. And the reason why the, the city of Antioch first labeled the Jesus follower Christians is because Christians blended in everywhere. They, they didn't dress like a particular religion. You could identify most religions still today by the way they dress. But Christians didn't have a specific dress code, right? The, the Christians didn't live in, in only one part of the city and segregate themselves from everywhere else. And the, for those in the city of Antioch, they tried, they couldn't figure out how to label them. We have to give them a label of some kind because people, hey, come on, we're more comfortable, aren't we, as human beings, if we can label you, yeah. right? And so they, they figured, okay, they, they were the ones that labeled them Christians, which the word Christian literally means Christ-like. And the fact that they called them Christians in Antioch in this place and said, hey, we identify, you are like your Christ. You are like Jesus. It's fascinating. It's fascinating because Jesus was different than religious leaders, than every other religious leader who's ever existed and has ever existed since. Jesus was different. In fact, if I was to ask, I'm gonna ask all of you at all of our campuses, just watch this for, for a moment. How many of you have been pressured to take a stand? As a Christian saying, okay, you're a Christian, what's your stance on? And anybody been asked that question? How, what do you stand, where do you stand on Halloween? You're a Christian, where do you stand on Israel? You're a Christian, where do you stand on COVID? You're a Christian, where do you stand? And they all want to know where we stand. Isn't that right? 
Come on, I get, I get pressured all the time as a pastor. What's your stance on? What do, you, what do you stand on in this regard? Whatever it might be, where do you stand on that? In fact, I get pressured a lot. This might surprise you. I get pressured a lot to take a stand. Right? To take a stand on. How come you're so silent on? How come you never speak up? You got to speak up. And because you don't take a stance on this, you're, don't believe the Bible. Don't do this, whatever it might be. But Jesus, Jesus was different. In fact, the most famous Christian verse of all, one that we take stands with at hockey games, football games. Anybody know which one I'm talking about? John 3, 16, come on. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the verse we take a stance on. Did you know the next verse? Verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In other words, Jesus didn't get sent to take a stand to condemn anyone who didn't believe like him. And the the Christians, the Christ-like ones in Antioch were labeled Christ-like because they couldn't figure them out because they didn't take a stand against other religions other nationalities. They didn't condemn those who didn't believe like them. And they were labeled Christ-like. Oh, how we have drifted, haven't we? That local politician can say, hey, Christians are the problem with the world today. So if you're ever asked to take a stand or you're wondering where do I take a stand and how do I take a stand, let's take our cue from Jesus, okay? How did Jesus take a stand? What did Jesus stand for? Let's go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is a fascinating, fascinating story, a familiar one. In fact, it's interesting that this passage has been debated more than most passages in the New Testament. And many religious men and, and women have tried to exclude this story in particular from the Bible because it's so contrary to our human brain and how we stand, where we stand, how we stand, and how religion in particular should stand. Jesus was completely opposite, and Jesus confused everybody because he wasn't like every other religious leader. Now look at this in John chapter 8, verse 1 says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. Okay, verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Which makes me raise an eyebrow a little bit. What were you guys doing, Pharisees and scribes? That you caught her and you doubled up on that. You made sure that, we, that Jesus knew we caught her in the very act. I'd be like, my eyebrows would go up. Aren't you supposed to be at church? Anyway. <laughs> the truth is that this is a very public problem. It's a very public problem. It's a very public problem for, for that woman. And it's religion's MO. Basically, it's to take something that is a public sin and expose it and make it even more public. And the religious leaders, 
It's their natural instinct to make the public problem and even more public and expose her sin. Where Jesus was different. And in fact, Peter, Jesus's, one of Jesus' closest disciples, wrote this in his book in 1 Peter 4. He says, above all, keep fervent in love for one another because love exposes a multitude of sins. That's not what he said. He said, love what? Covers a multitude of sins. And I'm wondering, I wonder if Peter wrote these words in 1 Peter with this story in mind. Thinking of, we gotta be like Jesus. That Jesus didn't expose, the, the Pharisees exposed. The Pharisees wanted to make a public problem more public. Wanted to make sure that they took a stand against, for, for righteousness, all these things. But Jesus did something completely different. Jesus covered, look at how Jesus covered. Look what he did. Verse five. The Pharisees said to Jesus, now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women, what then do you say? Then they were uh, saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. Okay, now watch, 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 watch. The disciples, look at this, John, John is, is showing and exposing the Pharisees' motive. And the Pharisees' motive was to, to motivate Jesus to take a stand. They were pushing Jesus to take a stand for the law. The reason why they're testing Jesus to take a stand for the law is because if, if you are who you say you are, if you are the Messiah, and we're going to test you, if you're the Messiah, surely you're going to take a stand for the law. Because we've brought to you, and the law of Moses, they just reminded him in case he forgot, <laughs> They reminded Jesus that, hey, the law of Moses says that, hey, anyone caught in adultery needs to be stoned. And they're standing there, rocks in their hands and saying, what do you say? Wanting Jesus to take a stand for the law. But what did Jesus do? It says that Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground. Notice it says John makes sure that we, we say that, that Jesus stooped down. And what Jesus did is she's there cowering at the center of the, of the court. We saw this. She's there cowering, you know, huddled up, probably her face to the ground. And he stooped down right beside her, all the surrounding him, all the Pharisees with rocks in their hands. And he stood, he stooped down right over top of her. Why? Not to expose her, but to protect her. That's Grace. They watched this, and they were irritated. So it says, when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up. Jesus went from stooping down, protecting, and, and he took a stand. He stood up, and he said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone. And again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. Notice, I don't know if you've noticed, if you've got your Bibles, you can, and if you don't, I encourage you to go home and read this passage again. 
And circle or underline every time in verse 1 to 7, it says they or us. They brought her. They said. They said we found, we caught her. They kept on. It's amazing how it was they, they, they. You can't hide behind the they's and the them's. That's what, that's what we do. That's what Antioch did, right? They hide behind walls with people of like-mindedness. That's what we're pushed all the time. Come on. We're pushed all the time to take a stand with the they's, to stand against the them's, and that we can identify and label who we are, right? Us, us against them, and we, we do this all the time. And what Jesus did, Jesus did something amazing. They came and accused. They came. They, 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 they. And Jesus said, he who is without sin. And Jesus broke down the they's to the ones. Watch. Public righteousness plus personal grace, grace equals religion. What do I mean by that? Public righteousness, or we, we, can, we can be publicly righteous and we stand against all sin and we can stand for what's right. We're standing for what's right. Public righteousness, we're gonna take a public stand and, and personal grace, what's personal grace? Personal grace is where I have all the grace in the world for me and my sin. I have all the justifications as to what my motives really were, that I didn't mean to say that. I was, I was you know, I was tired. I was upset. I was, I, this happened to me. We have all the personal grace in the world for our own sin, don't we? But we take public stands for righteousness. That's religion. That's what every other religion does. And that's what the religion of Christianity, of modern Christianity does, which is why we're talking about rethinking some things and saying, we're, listen, we need to be more Christ-like, more Christian, and less religious. Because religion wants to take a public stand with the theys and hide behind the theys, but it will, it will give itself personal grace. Whereas Jesus offered, talks about personal conviction plus public grace. Personal conviction What's personal? Personal conviction is saying, I'm a sinner. I fall short. I'm in need of Jesus too. I'm in need of grace. I don't see through, I see through a glass dimly is what Paul said. I don't see everything as clearly as I ought to. I can make mistakes too. And because I can make mistakes and I can, I can use the word of God for personal conviction, I can offer you public grace. What's interesting is that the Pharisees came to test Jesus to ask him to take a public stand for the law. And what Jesus did instead is he took a public stand for the sinner. Religion grandstands to get attention. And it's easily offended and carries a secondhand offense for God. Is this causing you to squirm a little bit? Because as I'm preparing this and reading this, this caused me to squirm a little bit. Because I've been that Pharisee. I've been that Pharisee with an offense in my hand, a rock in my hand, ready to stone 
those who are wrong or disagreed or voted differently, oops, or, <laughs> or thought differently than I did. And taking a secondhand offense for God and saying it's our job as a church to stand up for righteousness. And if we don't, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And if we don't stand up for righteousness and tell them they're wrong. Jesus always put relationship ahead of rules. Verse 9. When they heard this, Jesus said he is without sin. When they heard this, they began to go out one by one. Not as the they's anymore. They started to disperse one by one. And it's fascinating. John noted this, that beginning with the older ones first. Because the older ones are like, yeah, I got lots, lots of mistakes that need grace. And then it says, and he was left alone with the woman where she was in the center of the court. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And then Jesus said, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. And I've heard this preached a hundred times. And it's always, it's, the preachers always start speaking out of going, yeah, but, but Jesus is grace and truth and I've, I've preached it. And he told her to sin no more. But listen, 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 listen. He did. He told her to sin no more. But listen, he told her privately when it was just him and her. He didn't expose her publicly. He protected her publicly. And privately, he said to her, yeah, that relationship, should stop that. She's pregnant. This was God speaking to an adulterer in private, offering grace with guidance. Jesus is so different than expected. He's so confounded the Pharisees. He's so confounded. He's, he's so impacted his followers. John would quote Jesus, and Jesus said this in John 12, 47. He says, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, what does that mean? Sinner. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, what does he say? I judge that person. No, he says, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Come on, if we're supposed to be Christian, we're supposed to be Christ-like, 
then this should be our mantra. Our mantra shouldn't be, we came to judge the world, to correct the world, to take a stand for righteousness. We're supposed to, we're supposed to stand up for all the things right in this world. And anything that's not, doesn't agree with this is wrong. And we're supposed to condemn and we're supposed to judge. And Jesus is like, no, 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 wait. Wait. I did not come to judge. I came to save. How did he save? For God so loved the world he gave. And then Jesus challenged us, didn't he? In Matthew 28, he says, therefore, go and make disciples. What's that? Jesus followers. Make go, therefore, in your going, make Jesus followers of all nations. We look at that. Therefore, in your going, be replicas of Jesus. Make replicas of Jesus in all nations. In your going to work, don't condemn don't take a stand. Listen, come on. This is what we do. Come on. Is this freeing for anybody? <laughs> come on. We're, we're supposed to go to work, and we're supposed to take a stand for righteousness. We're taking a stand. We're taking a stand. We're taking a stand. And what do we do? We, we think we're justified. We've been taught. We've been, it's expected us as Christians that we're supposed to stand against all things wrong. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I did not come to condemn the world. I came to save it. Your job is not to take a stand. In fact, when he took, we looked this, this last week in Luke 10, he sends them out two by two. He says, he says, hey, when you go, pray, speak well, eat what is placed in front of you. Don't condemn them for their wrong diet. Right? Meet their felt needs, heal the sick, and then tell them the kingdom is near. So in your going to work, it's not your job to convict or to condemn. It's your job to love. And love covers a multitude of sins. That you don't go to stake, take a stand for righteousness. You go to take a stand for the one who's lost. Or the one who needs love, acceptance, forgiveness. Why? Because Jesus took a stand for you. Here's today's takeaway. Christianity is not a personal mission with a public conviction. It's a personal conviction with a corporate mission. Let me explain what I'm saying. It's not a personal mission. We, we say this all the time. God called me. Usually we say that to justify our stand. <laughs> God told me. God called me on a personal mission. No, no, no. Listen, Christianity is not a personal mission with a public conviction. Christianity is a personal conviction with a corporate mission to do what? To love like Jesus loved. To love one another as I have loved you. Now watch, let me prove it to you. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 13. This is the love chapter that we quote at every wedding. Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It's not just about spouses, it's about going to work. How do we love? We're patient, we're kind. We don't keep any records of wrongs. And at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right after he describes what love is. Verse 8 says, love never fails. Verse 9, he says, we only know a portion of the truth. 
What we say about God is always incomplete, but when the complete arrives, our incomplete will be canceled. What's he saying? He's saying this to the church of Corinth. He's saying, guys, love, be patient, be kind, don't expose, don't take a stand for righteousness because you only know, you only see the portion of the truth. Yes, you have this, but even with all the understanding of this, you only see a portion of the truth. Come on, come on, come on. I, I need you to see this. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? He who is without sin cast the first stone. Who was the only person in that story? Who's the only person in that thing without sin? Jesus. Jesus is the one who had the right to cast the first stone. He's the only one that has the right to cast the stone. And even Jesus didn't cast the stone. Paul saying, if Jesus didn't throw the stone, certainly you shouldn't. And Paul says, you should just love, hey, because why? Because you, you think you've got the truth and you're taking a stand for the truth. And then Paul says, you only know a portion of it. We don't know it all yet. One day we will. We don't know it all yet. So what do we do in the meantime? Next verse, he says, now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. That's Bible speak. What's he talking about? You know what he's saying? He says, you're not supposed to use this Bible as a window to look through to condemn the world with. You're supposed to use this Bible as a mirror to look in and, ref and, and, and to convict. The conviction is supposed to be personal. The love is public. The grace is public. What if we lived in personal conviction and loved people anyway? Because you know what's easier when you feel personally convicted? It's easier to feel better about yourself by publicly condemning somebody else. Well, they're worse off than me. And that kind of feels good sometimes. Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, no, no, whoa, 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 hold up. Hold up. We only see in a reflection as a mirror. Jesus broke down the theys to the me's. And next week, we're going to conclude this series by looking at the time when Jesus wanted the me's to become they. And why? Because watch, religion gets this backwards. We stand behind the theys to, con to condemn and to speak out against the other theys. And Jesus is like, no, 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 personal conviction is the me. And then what happens when he says, no, he called us to be an ecclesia, two or three. That's when we become the theys. For what? And why? We'll conclude next week's, the series next week by explaining all of that. Does this help anybody today? Pastor Kelly, why doesn't Parallel Church take a stand against? How come you don't tell people about their sin? How come? Because I'm doing everything we possibly can, come on, to be like Jesus. We don't always get it right, not even close. 
not even close. But are doing our best to follow. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, for the great example that you are, Jesus. We thank you most of all for stooping down and protecting me. Covering my multitude of sins and offering me grace and mercy, forgiveness, acceptance. Jesus, you're amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Help me in return to do the same for others. In Jesus' name. here this morning, you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, maybe because you're afraid of your wrongs being exposed or afraid to join the they, <laughs> the religious church. And I tell you that Jesus is your protector. Jesus is your forgiver. Jesus accepts you. And if you were the one in the mud that day, he would stoop down and protect you too. He invites you into a relationship with him and all you need to do to begin that relationship is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is God. And we're gonna do that right now by praying a prayer all together. And if you believe what you're praying is true and believe that Jesus rose again from the dead, the Bible says in Romans, you will be saved. So let's pray this together. Everyone that's watching online at all of our campuses, let's pray this together. Everyone repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are God and I believe that you rose again from the dead and I ask you right now to become my God, my Lord and Savior, my friend. Thank you for forgiving me of all my wrongs, for accepting me just as I am. I give my heart to you in Jesus' name.